नमस्ते माई नेम इज़ अमोक एंड वेलकम टू माई पॉडकास्ट टूडेज एपिसोड इज अबाउट डेमोक्रेसी एंड द राइट टू वोट अ फ्यू डेज अगो आई वॉज जस्ट थिंकिंग दैट कॉलेज इज यूजली अ टाइम वेर पीपल एक्चुअली एक्सपीरियंस द रियल वर्ल्ड फॉर द फर्स्ट टाइम इन मेनी वेज वी लर्न हाउ टू डील विद न्यू पीपल एस्पेशली फ्रॉम डिफरेंट बैकग्राउंड्स as opposed to school where schoolmates are from the same town or same neighborhood we learn how to set up a schedule for ourselves because we don't have parents to wake us up if we're staying in a hostel we learn how to manage our money with it in most cases being only limited in supply a highly crucial aspect of this life is that it is a time when we make friends and in many cases friends for life we also cultivate some rivalries even make bitter enemies due to various reasons this in my opinion is a perfect example of a microcosm quite representative of a society at large within this framework our group of friends is the most proximate group of people that we associate with within which we can take as much liberty with each other as much we would give to them we treat everyone as equals we make sure no one is left behind in any sense we always make sure that we split the bills we make collective decisions together decisions this is actually an important issue these are just some ramblings that i often find myself lost in but they aren't always random about this issue of decisions i was thinking how does each group arrive at uh, this practice for example how do we decide which cafe to go to in a circle of friends in our college we had several options that fit our budget we could go to suprabha and have a nice idli sambar or we could go to ramu and get a veg puff or we could even go to krishna vilasam and have the best ghee roast dosa available anywhere within walking distance from our hostels i'm sure many of you have also faced such questions of national even international importance in your college life and i'm also sure that the way most of us have solved these questions is by putting it up to a vote we made certain assumptions implicitly without ever making them clear like every vote counts equally even girls get to vote caste religion region of origin cgpa height weight none of these factors matter these are actually revolutionary ideas that have sort of lost importance in our daily lives and i often find myself asking why I think the answer is that we were handed these principles these principles of equality of franchisee on a silver platter we never had to struggle for them these are legacy principles that is also partly the reason why we are starting to doubt their validity anew a large section of our society undervalues them to a large extent 
I intend to take a brief look into how democracy evolved and how it shapes our worldview even today. Now this word democracy itself is a Greek word where demos means people and kratos means strength. It is a system of governance in which people exercise power directly or via representatives. In Greece, the earliest democratic governance was in Athens during 6th to 4th century BCE. Cleisthenes is regarded as the father of Greek democracy. It was a direct democracy, meaning that people could directly vote or give their preference on policy matters. In Rome, the situation was a bit different. Since the foundation of Rome, its rulers had been monarchs, elected for life by the Roman Senate. The last Roman king was Lucius Tarquinius Superbus or Tarquin the Proud. In traditional histories, Tarquin was expelled in 509 BCE because his son had raped a noblewoman who afterwards committed suicide. Her father, her husband and Tarquin's own nephew mustered support from the Senate and the army and forced Tarquin into exile. The Senate then agreed to abolish kingship, thereby establishing the Roman Republic. Most of the king's former functions were transferred to two consuls who were elected to office for a term of one year. Each consul had the capacity to act as a check on his colleague, if necessary through the same power of veto that the kings had held over the senate. Veto means the power to single-handedly stop an action or a decision. If a consul abused his powers in office, he could be prosecuted when his term expired. Even though the Roman Republic, in almost 500 years of its existence, contributed much to our current understanding of democracy, it was extremely flawed. The voting rights in Rome were limited to a minority of citizens. The Athenian democracy was slightly better since it allowed all Athenian citizens to vote. However, Athenian women, slaves and foreigners were not considered as Athenian citizens and denied the right to vote. Even in ancient India, there are many evidences of non-monarchical rule. Going by the Pali canon and even some Sanskrit literature, such forms of governments were quite common between 6th and 2nd century BCE, at least in the northern part of India. Perhaps the most useful account of India's non-monarchical rule is Aryan's Anabasis of Alexander, which describes Alexander's campaigns in, the, in great detail. The Anabasis, which is derived from eyewitness accounts of Alexander's companions, portrays him as meeting free and independent Indian communities at every turn. What free and independent meant is illustrated in the case of Nisa, a city on the border of modern Afghanistan and Pakistan. It was ruled by a president and a council of 300 people. 
Nyssa was in Greek terms an oligarchy or rule of a few people. As further the discussion between the between Alexander and the president of that place reveals, it was a single city state. There were other Indian states that were both larger in area and wider in franchise. Some historians in their histories of Alexander mention a people called the Sabarkai or the Sambastai, among whom the form of government was democratic and not regal or royal. They had a large state. Their army consisted of 60,000 foot soldiers, 6,000 cavalry and 500 chariots. Thus, Indian republics of the late 4th century could be much larger than the contemporaneous Greek republics. And it seems that in the northwestern part of India, republicanism was the norm and not the exception. Alexander's historians mention a large number of republics, some named and some not, but only a handful of kings. The prevalence of republicanism and its democratic form is explicitly stated by Diodorus Siculus. Some historians even argue that most societies developed some kind of governance by discussion. For example, some Native American tribes had evolved a kind of democratic society between 1400 and 1600 CE, before the Europeans came. But these democracies did not survive for long, anywhere. Julius Caesar, one of the last consuls of Rome, was a dictator and he was assassinated. His great-nephew Gaius Octavius, along with Mark Antony and Marcus Lepidus, led a war against the assassins of Julius Caesar. And eventually Octavius edged out the other two people and became the sole ruler of the Roman Empire. Even the Athenian democracy suffered losses and conquest at the hands of first the Spartans and then Macedonians and then they too lost their democracy. Ancient Indian republics also weakened due to various factors, not the least of which was rigidity of the Chaturvarna system. In the Middle Ages, Europe was again ruled by monarchs, feudal lords and the clergy, that is the church. The British Parliament, which can be traced back to the Magna Carta, signed by the king in 1215, was established in the year 1265. The Magna Carta, as I had said in the previous monologue on free speech, limited the powers of the king and gave liberties to the citizens of Britain. This was the first division of power in state. Such Similar such laws and rules were made after this throughout Europe. Meanwhile, in medieval India, there are evidences of quasi-democratic forms of governance dating to the late 9th century. An inscription in a Manur Ambalanatha Swami temple from Tirunelveli district that has been dated back to around 898 CE mentions a resolution passed by the local town that was called by gathering people by beating drums and assembling near the temple. The inscription even mentions rules for people who voted. People who frequently voted no were charged heavy fines for obstructing work. Only those who owned land in the village were allowed to vote. 
so they could make sure that they had the skin in the game moreover they also had to be conversant in one veda and one dharma shastra which would be tested by scholars so again it was more like an oligarchy still it was better than and more democratic than a monarchy now back in europe in the year 1610 a case called the case for proclamations was fought and its judgment defined some limitations some more limitations on the power of the king the most important part of this judgment was that the king could only make laws through the parliament this firmly established that the king was not above the british parliament in the year 1628 the petition of rights was passed by the british parliament this document is considered to be as important as magna carta of 1215 and the english bill of rights of 1689 this petition of rights made illegal the taxation without parliamentary consent and of arbitrary imprisonment protection against arbitrary imprisonment is called habeas corpus by the way which is the same thing along which lines the arnab goswami case was fought it was a case of habeas corpus protection against arbitrary imprisonment this petition of rights actually led to a lot of conflict and war in britain which ended in the glorious revolution of 1688 after which the bill of rights was signed in 1689 after this there was a widespread acceptance for democratic values not just in europe but in america as well the united states declared its independence in the year 1776 it rejected the greek version of direct democracy instead it opted for the roman representative version in the year 1789 french revolution happened against the french monarchy and the french republic was established which initially took the form of a constitutional monarchy but then it became a constitutional republic the 19th century saw some great reforms that happened via democracy slavery was abolished in 1833 in the british empire in 1848 in the french colonies in 1865 in america and slowly all over the western world this was a great achievement for democracy in 1853 black africans were first allowed to vote in the southern african provinces in 1870 the 15th amendment of the united states was passed and african americans were given the vote however these bastions of democracy great as though their achievements were were soon to be challenged the first world war was a temporary victory for democracy when many monarchies like the ottoman empire and the austro-hungarian empire were taken down in favor of democratic governments communism rose near the end of 19th century and in 1917 when the bolsheviks came to power in russia and established the soviet union quite violently so proclaimed communism to be the true democracy and as reprehensible as their rule was one of their biggest achievements was that they accorded the right to vote to women for the first time in europe 
they were not actually the first ones to do so in the world because new zealand had already given uh, the right to vote to its female citizens in the year 1893 so if you look at it the women's right to vote is only 127 years old even britain which had a long history of women's suffrage movements finally gave the right to vote to women in the year 1918 the usa in 1920 even this was not exactly an equal right in 1914 when the first world war broke out britain suspended all of its party politics which also meant that the militant suffragette movements were also suspended however these movements kept lobbying in the background and eventually in 1918 when the representation of people's act was passed the right to vote was accorded to all men above the age of 21 and all women above the age of 30 provided they met the property requirements which means they had to own certain property it was only 1928 10 years later that men and women were guaranteed equal rights in britain even france france enfranchised its women in the year 1944 among the many reasons given not to extend the franchise to women one of them was something that seems ridiculous today it was that women were inherently too emotional to make important decisions and that they were better suited in the home taking care of children and the household insulting phrases like you do not need the ballot to clean your sink were printed on flyers in spite of all of that just on the basis of this principle of equality of men and women before law the suffragists eventually won their battle then the world war 2 ended in 1945 after which decolonization began India became an independent country in the year 1947. We gave ourselves the new constitution in the year 1950. In the general elections of 1951 and 52, all people above the age of 21, male or female, belonging to any caste, were given the right to vote. This age was later changed to 18 in the 61st amendment of 1989. In the year 1991, the iron curtain fell peacefully and the erstwhile soviet republics eventually became democratic republics and this is when the largest part of the world was under democratic rule which it stays even today but what i see happening very often is that people now undermine the importance the sheer brilliance of this idea of considering every person residing in a country a part of the process of governing the entire country this idea is nothing less than revolutionary one that enfranchises every single person of age giving them importance in the discourse of the nation but it's not like democracy does not have problems of its own One of the longest standing criticisms of democracy comes from one of the oldest philosophers and one of my biggest influences Socrates Socrates did not much like the idea of democracy that every person irrespective of their level of intelligence would get to participate in the process of decision making One of his students Plato 
in his book dialogues writes that socrates tried to convince a friend of his about the problems with democracy socrates used the example of a ship how would we decide who captains the ship by voting or by merit in his metaphor as he later explains greece is a ship and the greek leader or the captain of the ship must be one who is educated and wise enough to set the correct course for the ship this meritocracy argument against democracy is not devoid of merit but hidden in it is an a priori assumption that there is a correct course for the ship in my personal opinion hardly can any person know what the correct way is at best one can do a few good things at the cost of some other things and if it's any sort of an oligarchy instead of a democracy that is rule of a few men instead of all or even if it's a monarchy the resentment and unrest among the people is extremely high as has been seen several times in the past whenever power tends to concentrate in the hands of a few people there is social unrest now keeping that in mind i think the individuals who vote and choose their rulers are in fact the sovereign they choose their leaders however the leaders may be if they end up choosing a great leader a person with vision and will their country will prosper if they choose an idiot then they will suffer and they'll have to live with that till the next election they cannot exactly blame someone else for that but in order to avoid making bad choices i agree in full with socrates's solution for this problem that is education people need to be educated to a point where they can make constructive decisions for their own society and for the longest period this is also one of the reasons why it is my firm conviction that free education for below poverty line children till the age of 14 is a brilliant idea children must be equipped with the tools to choose what is best for themselves this history of democracy must also be put in proper context for them to see how important this idea is another criticism of democracy is that it is a slow process often too slow to make any real progress examples for a solution to that would be authoritarian states like the erstwhile soviet union or even the modern china however these countries are autocratic borderline dictatorial well soviet union actually was a dictatorship no wonder these countries achieved a lot of progress but at the cost of heavy suppression of large swathes of their population i see many people often argue on social media that india should become a dictatorship for a few years only then it will progress what exactly do these people think happens in dictatorships fundamental rights are suspended people are oppressed and are in arbitrarily incarcerated put into prison 
I think these people who say that always imagine their dictator to be a benevolent personality, something like a Santa Claus, who is only concerned about the growth of the country and not about consolidating his or her power and suppressing any rebellions violently if necessary. We had once come quite close to a democracy, to a dictatorship, during the national emergency. Even though I was not alive at that time, I know that those who recount their memories of that time always recount horror stories, not Aesop's fables. In the backdrop of all of this, the biggest shining example of a liberal democracy still having made the most progress in spite of maintaining its democratic character is the United States. It allowed its people the freedom to participate in the decision-making process. And yet it was able to make rapid progression, progress in terms of science and economic development. Many countries followed its lead and have still remained free to this day. Which is what I think India should do too and I think it is on the same path. If you learn anything from today's podcast, let it be this, that the value of democracy is hardly debatable. It has by now been ingrained in our heads and for good reason. It is a great academic exercise to doubt and discuss the effects of democracy, both good and bad. But as Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government there is, except for all the others. If you like today's podcast, please be sure to leave a thumbs up. If you have any comments, positive or negative, please be sure to use the comment section. And for more such podcasts, please subscribe to my channel. Namaste.